The scripture reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify to the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. So I want you to pretend for a moment you are the lead character from the Count of Monte Cristo, Edmond Dantes. Those of you that are familiar with the story, uh, you, you know what happened to him. But in case you're not familiar with the story, here's what I want you to imagine. After long years of being unjustly locked away in a horrible prison, enduring hardship and cold and hunger and loneliness and despair, you are now free. And, and you're no longer bound by shackles. You're no longer subject to ridicule and scorn and abuse. You have your freedom. And not only do you have your freedom, you have this incredible treasure, more money than you could ever spend in a lifetime. What are you going to do with your freedom? That's the question that I want you to consider. What will you do with your freedom? Maybe you would be like Dantes in the story and use all that wealth and all those resources to exact revenge on the people who put you in prison. Or maybe you're saying, hey, for the past 15 years, all I ate was this nasty gruel, and so I'm going to go and eat cheeseburgers and pizza and steak for the rest of my life because I have the money. Or maybe you're like, you know what, I'm, I was tired of being lonely for all those years, so I'm going to go and make all the friends I can, go to all the parties, all the social functions, I'll throw parties, but I'm going to get a whole rack of people around me so I never feel lonely again. Or maybe you are tired of wearing nasty, dirty, falling apart clothes, and so you're going to go and fill a whole closet full of brand new clothes. You have the means, why not? Or maybe you hated being confined in a cell, so now you're going to travel the world. What would you do with your freedom? I wonder if you sat and thought about it, the thought of just giving away all that money and just going and living a normal life, normal job quietly would ever cross your mind. Or would that seem like squandering your freedom, squandering your resources? Because it's kind of interesting that we normally conceive of freedom and really maximizing our freedom is when we do something to, the, to our fullest that before we were unable to do. So, so there was a time where we were restricted from a particular want or desire, but now that we've been set free to do it, we're going to do it and we're going to do it to our heart's content. And so freedom becomes about getting. It's freedom from restriction and now it's freedom to get what I want. Consider the words of the United States Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is an inalienable right. So we use our life, we use our liberty. Why? To pursue happiness. 
does not our culture conceive freedom as casting off all restraints, everything that would hinder our happiness, everything that would hinder our self-expression and our self-fulfillment. I mean, consider the words of Justice Anthony Kennedy in a majority opinion he wrote in a 1992 Supreme Court case. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. The, the height of freedom is to say, no one gets to tell me what to do. I get to define myself. I get to define my life. I get to do what I want to do. Freedom is the highest good, and any restriction is seen as suspicious at best and oppressive at worst. This is a common understanding of freedom. This is a freedom that we have been shaped in. And it is exactly this kind of freedom that Paul is confronting here in Galatians 5. In verse 13, he writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So all the emphasis on how the gospel frees us from the law, frees us from performance, frees us from sin, Paul is saying, hey, don't misunderstand what this freedom means. It does not mean that now you just go and live this unrestricted pursuit of happiness through indulgence. It, freedom from it, that you have in the gospel is not just go and take and take and take and get and get and get. Rather, the purpose of freedom is to live a life of love and service, empowered by the Spirit. True freedom is not freedom from but freedom for. And how counterintuitive. This is so counterintuitive. You think of this. The purpose of freedom is actually to be bound in service. That's counterintuitive to us, but that is the way of Jesus. That is the way of the Spirit. So here's what I wanted to do this morning. For, for those of you that profess faith in Jesus, like, look, my hope is that God's word would shape how you use your freedom. That, that God's word would give you a picture of what it really means to walk in freedom in the spirit and, that, and, and what Christ has called you to and set you free for. But for those of you here this morning that, that don't believe in Jesus, what I want to do is I want to hold out for you a picture of freedom that is greater than the one the world is offering you. The, the, the greater in, than the one that your heart may be beating after. I want you to understand that freedom in Christ, the freedom he offers, the life he offers is far greater, not easier, but far greater than any other vision of freedom that you and I or this world could conceive of. So two points for us from this passage. The first is we're going to spend some time reflecting on what it means to misuse our freedom. And then the second is what does it look like to properly use our freedom? So what, what does it mean when we misuse freedom? What, 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 what do we need to consider? So when Paul says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, what does he exactly mean? Well, in scripture, the word flesh can be used multiple ways. Sometimes it's just talking about a physical body. Flesh in blood. To be in the flesh means that you are in a physical body. But it also can talk about the sinful desires and impulses, the inclinations that we have to sin because we live in a fallen and sinful, broken world. 
And so to understand this properly, we need to understand that when God created Adam and Eve, when God created humanity, he made them sinless. They were without sin, and they were made to walk in relationship with God, to walk in freedom before him, to walk in righteousness. However, here's where the wheels fell off. Adam and Eve, rather than wanting to walk in submission to God's goodness and his righteousness, decided, hey, we're going to do things on our own. We're going to define meaning and purpose. We're going to define good and evil. We're going to define our own lives apart from who God is. God, we want freedom from you. You're restricting. You're holding us back. You're keeping good things from us. And so we got it from here. We're going to take things into our own hands. And since that fall, since that rebellion, the rest of us, we are now born into sin. It means that our hearts are bent towards rebellion. We desire freedom from God. We desire the ability to define our own identity, our meaning and purpose, good and evil on our own, apart from God. So here's what we need to recognize. Our freedom seeking is not ultimately about because we want to be happy. Our freedom seeking is rebellion against God. It's because we want to do things on our own. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And out of this sinful, rebellious freedom-seeking, out of our hearts come these works of the flesh. And this is what Paul describes in verses 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And what does he say? He says, I warn you as I warned you once before. People who live this way do not inherit the kingdom of God. This is in rebellion to God. And so people who live this way do not inherit the kingdom of God. Look, in all of our freedom seeking, in all of our telling ourselves that freedom from restraint is what will make us happy, like this is what we get. This is what comes out of us, what Paul lists here. Sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality. So for Paul's original audience in the Roman culture, like Roman culture was notorious for its sexual immorality. Sexual indulgence had little to no limitation in that day. And it was really considered the height of personal freedom if I could express myself sexually how I wanted. And how true is that for us today? In so many ways, the height of personal freedom. How do I know that I have the most personal freedom I could possibly have? Well, I can express myself sexually in any way that I want. I can satisfy any sexual desire, whether it be with another person or whether it be on the internet. Really, the highest value is consent. And if everyone is down, then we should be able to do whatever we want. Not constrained by biblical ethics, not constrained by the covenant of marriage. Heck, not even constrained by another human being. We take what we want and we get what we want. Or how about drunkenness and orgies? In Roman society, religious practice often involved rituals that involved both drunkenness and sex. So in other words, they would worship God through pleasure. They would worship the many polytheistic gods of the Romans through pleasure. And look, we do the same today. We may not worship the Roman gods, but we certainly worship pleasure. Food and drink and sex and entertainment, when I want it, with no limit, what can I get? You shouldn't ever have to be without pleasure, right? 
the moment I want it, I should be able to get it. We get mad when we have to wait 30 seconds for a hamburger. We get mad when the commercial break takes too long. And we could just go on down the list. Don't deny me pleasure. Or how about idolatry and sorcery? Like we, if, if you've been around First City, we, we use this term idolatry quite a bit. I mean, idolatry is really following any false god, any, anything that has the, the center of your heart, anything that you worship. And again, for Roman society, they certainly worshiped false gods, polytheism. And in today in our world, there are the false gods of Buddhism and the false gods of Islam, mysticism, new age mysticism, the occult. There are plenty of false religions, but we don't have to follow false religion to be idolaters. We, we worship at the altar of success and wealth and power and approval. We, we will seek to use religious ritual to get what we want from these things. Look, we were created to worship and we will worship something. If you reject the one true God, something else will quickly take its place. And then Paul lists out enmity and strife and jealousy and anger and divisions, a whole host of personal conflicts. And here's what was fascinating. He's pushing against this honor culture within Roman society. So within the society of the day, honor was a significant social good. And so you sought to be honored by others through your social position or through accomplishment or through reputation. And being thought of more highly than someone else was important. You wanted the highest honor. You wanted to be on the, the top of the rung, so to speak. So if someone threatened your honor, not necessarily just if someone insulted your honor, but if someone threatened your position, well, you did everything that you could to knock them down and get over them. You wanted the, the best position. And so this society was very competitive backstabbing, hypocrisy, division ran rampant. You could be nice to someone's face, but behind harbor all kinds of hatred and envy and jealousy towards them because they probably had a position that you wanted. And look, for us, if self-expression, if self-fulfillment, if self-made identity is the highest right, the highest good, then all who oppose our identity, all who oppose any self-expression that we, that we have, Anybody who opposes our attempts at fulfillment, well, they're the enemy. They stand in the way of our freedom. And so we are going to push past them. We are going to be in conflict with them. We are going to disregard them. Welcome to the world of identity politics. Welcome to the world where if you don't make me happy, then I discard this relationship. Look, for all of our talk of freedom, and it's good, but for all of our talk of self-fulfillment, for all of our talk of self-actualization and happiness, this is what comes out of us in our rebellion against God. Seeking freedom from God, seeking freedom from restraint. We are driven by the works of the flesh. And let me just stop here for a moment and ask, how does this land on you? How, how does this list land on you to hear that your pursuit of freedom and pleasure and success and self-expression and self-fulfillment and even religious practice is works of the flesh. Maybe it rubs you the wrong way a little bit. Maybe there's a sense that you get a little bit upset and angsty that, that someone would question any of that. Puts you on the defensive. 
hey, fair enough. But can I invite you just for a moment, rather than shutting me off, to to just listen to what God's word has to say? Because this is God's kindness to you. To break into sort of that that stupor, that, that, that kind of going at freedom with ever stopping to reflect. And God is calling you, hey, just stop for a second and consider what you're doing to yourself. Can consider whether or not freedom is all that it is cracked up to be. You see, the pleasures offered by freedom, look, for a long time, they can give us this sense of fullness and happiness. Like, this is what life is all about. I've been denied things for so long, but now this freedom, it gives me new possibilities, and I can do what I want. I can be what I want, who I want to be. I mean, this is exciting. But what happens when the excitement wears off? Well, what happens when the happiness doesn't last? Or what about when the law of diminishing returns kicks in? See, what once was exciting and what, what once was pleasurable doesn't have the same effect. You go out and have this particular experience, and at one time it was exciting and it seemed fulfilling, and then you go into it again, and it's like, ah, oh, that wasn't as great. The law of diminishing return. And so you have to go and get more and get more. You have to get more sex and more pleasure and more success and more wealth and more approval. And like anyone who's ever been to a buffet or a Thanksgiving meal or the day after Halloween and you had way too much, what happens? Ugh. Regret. I I overindulged and I'm really kicking myself for it. You see, freedom, when it is unhinged and overindulged, can start to make you actually feel a little bit nauseous. As Jamie Smith says, on the far side of such freedom, sometimes a long way down the road is regret. And so what I'm asking you this is, has freedom really delivered on the promise? Are you happy? Do you have joy? Do do you have peace? Do you have love and kindness and patience and truth filling your heart? Like, are you healthy emotionally and spiritually and relationally? Or how about this question? Are you even free? Like in that pursuit of freedom, in that pursuit of pleasure and happiness, here's what's happening. You see that desire that is driving you, it's actually forming habits in you. Over and over, you are doing things to fulfill that desire. Habits that you engage concerning your relationships and sexual habits. Habits of how you eat and drink. Habits of entertainment and pleasure. Habits of work. Habits of spending money. Habits of worship. Habits of relationships. And what ends up happening is habits turn into necessity. Over and over and over, you are formed. And it goes from not just something you want to do, but it's something you actually need to do. And then when that law of diminishing return kicks in and you're not experiencing what you once were, you do more and you do more and you do more because you need it and you need it and you need it. Welcome to slavery. This is what happens when we give our lives to the works of the flesh. Freedom, as the world defines it, is actually slavery. And some of you may think, wait, That sounds a little bit like addiction. Well, look, 
You don't need to be clinically or chemically addicted to alcohol or drugs or sex to be an addict. Look, if if you are enslaved to the works of the flesh, look, you're an addict. Like, we're all addicts, so to speak, because we are enslaved. And, And here's what happens. Life gets reduced to fulfilling those desires. In her book, The Recovering, Leslie Jameson says this of addiction. Addiction is always a story that has already been told because it inevitably repeats itself because it grinds down ultimately for everyone to the same demolished and reductive and recycled core. Desire, use, repeat. In other words, life becomes reduced to what you can't live without and the rhythms of your day, your week, your month, your year, your entire life are focused on getting that thing that never satisfies, that is never enough. And you don't have to be in an AA meeting to recognize this dynamic in your life. How many of you would relate to this? How many of you could say, this is what goes on in my soul on a daily basis? This is what God wants you to come to grips with. This is what he wants you to look at and consider. And what hope do we have? Like for those of us who are, are really tired of this prison, for those of us who are tired of themselves and, and really long for transformation, like is there hope for you? Is there hope for me? I mean, first, let me just point out this though. You have to come to the end of yourself before we can start talking about hope. Like, if you still enjoy this prison, maybe you're not even aware that you're in prison, but if you're still enjoying this freedom, then the gospel is no hope for you. Jesus will be of no value to you. Like, you're going to bristle against the declaration that you're in sin and you're in rebellion. But for those of you that are at the end of yourself, those of you that are tired, those of you that recognize you're in chains, you're imprisoned, that the promise of freedom that this world held out is empty. Those of, those of you that have come to the end of yourself and you're like, I don't want to live in rebellion to God anymore. I'm tired of this weight. I'm tired of this chain. I'm tired of this burden. Well, what is our hope? Well, let me say what this hope is not first. Hope is not in a bunch of rules meant to control your behavior. As the book of Galatians has been showing us, freedom is not found in the law. Sinful freedom, hear hear me on this. And and this is what another insight the book of Galatians gives us. Sinful freedom that we've just been talking about and and rules-based performance are two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the same coin because they're both of the flesh. And so they, they will produce similar results. Look, some of the most legalistic performance-based communities are some that have the most rampant sexual immorality and impurity going on. If you scratch past the appearances, you will find people with no self-control and that indulge their appetites. And why is this? Because for all their rules and for all their, their, their quote-unquote godly behavior, it's actually not about purity. It's not actually about self-control and righteousness and goodness, and it's definitely not about love. Those rules that get so often couched in biblical and religious language and Christianity, 
all they are used is to buttress idols of status and power and control and to try to manipulate God and God's people. It's also man-focused, not God-focused, performance-focused rather than spirit-dependent. And so look, church, or you as an individual, if you feel out of control in your life, if you feel that this, this freedom that the world offers has you just in a mess, your first move is not to go and find a bunch of rules. That's not your hope. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Your hope is in the power of the Spirit. Look, here is the good news of the gospel for you. No matter the addiction, no matter the sin, no matter the sexual immorality, no matter the idolatry, no matter the the jealousy and the envy and the enmity, no matter the drunkenness, no matter the indulgence, Jesus Christ can forgive your sin. Because Jesus took your sin on the cross. The penalty of the sin that you and I deserved, the judgment that you and I deserved, the debt that we owed, Jesus took that on himself. He paid with his own blood, with his own death. God put on him your sin and my sin and to pay for it so that we could be forgiven. Look, I don't care how deep and dark of hole you have found yourself in. The grace of God reaches further than that down and it grabs you and it pulls you out and you can be forgiven. You can be renewed. Here is the good news of the gospel. The power of sin is broken, not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is broken. The spirit of God renews you. And look, there is testimony in this room Look, there are addicts in this room that have been set free by Jesus. There are those of you in this room that have been idolaters. Those of you in this room that have been drunks. Those of you that have been given over to sexual immorality. Those of you that have been given over to jealousy and enmity and strife. And Jesus has set you free. There is cause to celebrate, as Paul talked about this morning. We don't have to look at our sin and despair. Because we can look to Christ and rejoice at the freedom that we have. And as Galatians chapter 5 has repeatedly called us to do is to look to the freedom that we have. Lift our eyes to Christ. And here is what is good news for us. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you are forgiven, if the power of sin has been broken, then you don't have to fulfill those desires anymore. Like when those desires come crashing in, making their demands, when those habits come calling, And they say, you need this, you need this, you need this. Get your fix, get your fix, get your fix. You can say no. You don't have to listen to them because they're not your master. They're not your identity. They're not your life. This is the good news of the gospel for us. You see, the identity and the acceptance and the love that you long for are yours in Christ. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He is your father. You are his son. You are his daughter. You have been welcomed into the family and he smiles on you. Yes, even the messy, broken, messed up you, he loves you and he smiles on you. Look, the meaning and the purpose you long for, they're given to you by God. He gives you something glorious to live for, joining in him in the mission to renew all things. And look, there's no law of diminishing return when it comes to God. 
the love and the joy and the peace and the goodness and the righteousness and the truth and the pleasures that he gives don't diminish. They only grow. They spill out over in abundance. They're eternal because eternal life is what is in you. That is what we have in Christ. That is what is offered to us in Jesus. You are free. However, we also have to recognize that we live in a fallen, broken world. And because we still live in bodies tainted and scarred by sin, our sinful impulses haven't been eradicated. Look, sin is not our master. We don't have to sin. We are not helpless. But the desires are still present. They're not gone yet. And we can either put those desires to death and give them no place, or we can give place to them. And Paul says, hey, don't let your freedom in Jesus be an opportunity. And the word opportunity there means base of operation. Don't let your freedom be a base, a launch pad from which your sinful desires are satisfied. Don't fall back into that freedom from, but live in freedom for. Here's what Paul says in verses 13 and 14. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the freedom we have is for a purpose. And it's so much bigger than just getting mine. Our freedom really isn't for us. It's to be directed outwardly. It's to be used to love others, to serve others. The freedom Christ brings actually binds us to other people. It doesn't remove us from other people. It's freedom for service, freedom that comes really with obligation. And this is exactly how Jesus lived. Jesus was the most perfectly free man who ever walked the earth. God the Son, King of all. He had all authority. Yet how did he use his freedom? He served. He loved even to the point of dying on a cross. He wasn't self-focused. Here's how he walked in his freedom. You see, he knew who he was. He didn't let other people define him. And he wasn't beholden to anybody else's agenda other than his father's. And because he was free in that way, he came on the greatest mission of all time to save. He lived in freedom and he used that freedom for the good of others. When you and I are free, when we're not self-obsessed and self-absorbed, we can live for something greater. That's the good news of the gospel. And look, here's what's crazy about this. When we love in this way, when we actually, we, we actually fulfill the law. This is what verses 13 and 14 tell us. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what this means is this. Look, when God gave the law, the, at the heart of that law was not, hey, follow all these rules, otherwise God is going to strike you dead. The heart was love. Love for God and love for other people. And so the rules that God laid out for his people were meant to direct them to love. The purpose was love, not just keep a bunch of rules so you can be more righteous than other people. It was love. And so when we love one another as God has called us to, we actually fulfill the law. We actually walk in the righteousness that the law demands. And here is Paul taking another backhanded slap at these false teachers. They want to say this, hey, get circumcised. Follow all the rules, performance. Then you will fulfill the law. And Paul says, no, love one another. Then you're going to fulfill the law. Love. Freedom to love. 
And let's be honest, this ups the ante. This ups the bar, so to speak. Because what this says is the way that I avoid the desires and the works of the flesh is not just by keeping a bunch of rules, because by keeping a bunch of rules, that keeps me self-focused, self-obsessed, that keeps me in the flesh. Rather, I avoid those things by loving God and loving other people. And I can't do this in and of myself. I don't have the capacity in and of myself to love the way God has called me to love. In and of myself, I'm self-obsessed and self-focused. I need a power greater than what I'm capable of. This is why I need the Spirit. This is why I need to walk by the Spirit. And here's the promise that Paul points to in verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So what does it mean to walk by the spirit? I mean, this may sound a little freaky to some of you. Like, like does, if I walk by the spirit, does this mean that I'm going to have like these crazy uh, spiritual experiences and have visions and maybe be a spiritual kind of superhero or maybe just kind of like walk with my head in the clouds and not really care about what's going on around me. Like it's unfortunate that sometimes we associate people who walk by the spirit as people who just kind of like have this otherworldly aura about them. And that, that's not what Paul is saying here. What, what Paul is pointing to is that Walking in the Spirit actually grounds you for the nitty-gritty of this life. Walking in the Spirit strengthens you for the battle because it's going to be a battle. Look, it wasn't a battle when all you did was give in to your sin. But now that you have the Spirit, now that you have the power to resist, now it's a battle. But the hope that we have here is that if we walk by the Spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Those desires do not have to win. And so really... The remainder of this series, through the end of the year, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit. But I want to just give you a few thoughts, kind of in contrast to these works of the flesh, some things for you to consider what it means to walk in the Spirit. What would it look like for us to walk in Spirit-led love for one another? So when it comes to the work of the flesh, of sexual morality, the temptation to sexual immorality. Here's the, here's the truth. Look, sex is a good thing. It's not taboo. It's not meant to be quiet and like, oh, we don't really talk about that. No, no, sex is a gift of God. It's meant to be celebrated. It's meant to be enjoyed. But it is meant to be enjoyed in the way that God gave it to us. And so here's what happens. The desire of that flesh comes crashing in. That, that it says, hey, you need sexual connection to feel something, to be someone. So you, you start to run to sexual immorality, whether it's sex outside of marriage or you run to pornography or even you can use your spouse. Look, married people can fall into sexual immorality if you are using your spouse. And when that temptation comes, we can either listen to that desire or we can walk by the Spirit and we can say, look, my identity is in Jesus. I don't need sexual connection to feel something, or be someone worthy. I don't need to run to sex to find my identity. I don't need to use others to fulfill that longing for connection and that longing for identity. Rather, I can rest and trust in Jesus. And then that sets me free, what? To enjoy sex with my spouse. 
to lovingly give myself, yes, receive from my spouse as well, but to give myself. No longer caught up in what I'm getting and what I need, more, oh, I'm free to give. Or how about with drunkenness? Look again, food and drink, man, they're meant to be enjoyed. And maybe you came out of a legalistic background that said, hey, no drinking and certain foods are off limits. So freedom in Christ comes and you're like, oh, wow, I can actually partake. But here's the temptation to use food and drink for pleasure to bury pain. And when walking by the Spirit says this, Jesus loves me and is my comfort. He's near me. I don't need to bury my pain in food and drink. Rather, I can take my pain to Jesus. And then those gifts, I can enjoy them. I don't need them, so I know when to stop. And here's what else. When I'm not obsessed with my own pain, man, I can serve other people. And and food and drink actually becomes a way to show hospitality, a a way to bless and love other people. And so my whole world has now been been expanded because now I'm inviting other people into my life. Jesus sets me free to serve and to love. Or how about the enmity and divisions? Look, here's, here's one of the great things about freedom in Christ. When you're set free, life in the church means this. You're free to disciple. You're you're free to serve. You're free to to teach others about Jesus. But but here's what can happen, those desires of the flesh. Like we want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want to be valued. We want to be honored. And and so the temptation is to pursue status and position, to to try to gain a place of honor for ourselves. We want to be known for our spiritual maturity or known for our knowledge or known for our skill sets. And then when we aren't honored as we think we should be, we begin to maybe talk badly, whether it be about leadership or about other people. Or maybe we have freedom to come and, and, and talk to someone who is in leadership in the church. And that is great. That's a wonderful freedom. We should never throw that away. But we abuse that freedom and do it in a way that creates division rather than unity. Or maybe you're sinned against and rather than seeking reconciliation, you run away. See, over and over and over, there are opportunities to create enmity and division. But when we walk by the spirits, when we recognize that our identity and our worth is in Jesus, and we recognize that no matter what my position, no matter what my role, that I can serve and God is going to use me for his glory, and I don't need position, when I'm not caught up in self-concern and I'm not obsessing over if I'm liked or if I'm loved or if I'm respected, if I'm not jockeying for position, man, then I can live for the, in the freedom of God's glory and the good of others. And what is incredible about this is this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us and what Jesus said. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? The servant of all, the one who doesn't get the recognition, the one who's behind the scenes loving and serving because all they want to see is God glorified and other people thrive. That's freedom, church, where you don't need any recognition whatsoever and you're going to serve until your eyeballs fall out. That is freedom, And sometimes when I think about that freedom, and I'm like, I am not there. But man, I wish I could be. That just seems so peaceful and relaxing to experience that kind of freedom. And so church, if you are in Christ, know this, you're free. The 
power of sin is not your master. Those desires are not your master. They don't define you. They don't own you. They don't get to tell you what to do. They are not your life. They are not your identity. So don't run back to them. For those of you that have come from maybe legalistic backgrounds, don't run to those things thinking that's freedom. For those of you God saved out of a false sense of freedom, don't go back. Don't go back. Rather, walk by the Spirit. Grow in the Spirit. Strengthen yourself in the Spirit. Just like you formed yourself in habits that formed you in selfishness and pride and sin and and that false freedom, walk in habits that are going to strengthen you in the Spirit. Keep meditating and going and feasting on God's Word. Come and worship God with his people. Keep confessing. Keep experiencing repentance and renewal and transformation. Keep coming to the Lord's table and allowing him to speak grace over you. Oh, keep at these things, not because they're boxes to check, but because by them, God is strengthening you and transforming you. So at the end of the Count of Monte Cristo, Dantes comes to see that it was completely an empty pursuit in seeking revenge. You see, he sees that his freedom is better used in actually loving and serving and blessing other people. He recognized like as long as he was seeking revenge, he was still back in that prison. In church, Christ has set us free from sin. He has set us free to love and to live for something greater and more glorious than our own selfish agendas and our self-made kingdoms. When we're self-obsessed, we're still in the prison. And so let us stop living in those prisons. We've been called to freedom. So let us walk by the Spirit. Let us love one another. Let us carry that love of Christ into our world so that others may experience that freedom as well. Amen.